Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is titled Prime. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. When World War I erupted in Europe in 1914, President Woodrow Wilson told the American people that our country would remain neutral in thought and in action. This stance resonated with our nation because no one at the time wanted to get involved in a war on the other side of the world. Wilson was later re-elected in the fall of 1916 using the slogan, he kept us out of war. Tragically, Wilson was unable to keep this campaign promise when Germany sank an American ocean liner and a handful of our merchant ships carrying cargo to Great Britain in the spring of 1917. As a result, he signed a declaration of war on April 6, 1917 that plunged the U.S. into World War I. Just a few days later, Wilson created a committee on public information that would uh, come up with a strategy for changing public opinion about the war. Because just the year prior, he had ran on the platform of, we're staying out of it, right? Well, the committee went on to launch an advertising campaign that included the now famous poster Uh, of Uncle Sam pointing a finger at the viewer that says, I want you for the U.S. Army. This iconic poster uh, was designed by illustrator James Montgomery Flagg. That's actually his real name, with two G's. Uh, Because Flagg was given a tight deadline, he didn't have enough time to come up with his own original idea or to hire a model. So he saw his reflection in the mirror and decided to draw a caricature of himself, but he was a young man, so he just envisioned what he would look like older. Added some wrinkles, some gray hair, and a beard, and, and um, what came out was what we see now today, and it's been used for decades. He also found some inspiration from something that the British had created three years earlier when World War I started. Uh, The Brits used a similar poster that showed Lord Kitchener, which is uh, Britain's Secretary of War, uh, pointing his finger at the viewer saying, Britons want you. Join your country's army. And so the young James Montgomery flag uh, saw that and went, hmm, Sketched an older self, put a beard, some white hair, and added some wrinkles, and out came Uncle Sam with the costume and the now famous poster. Millions of copies were then printed and distributed throughout the country uh, because back then there was no radio. Radio hadn't taken off yet. There was no TV and there's no internet. So posters were one of the best ways to communicate, newspaper and as well magazines. So uh, in addition to the three million soldiers who were drafted for World War I, two million more volunteered and several million dollars of war bonds were raised as a result of this Uncle Sam poster that you see on the screen. 
The war finally ended in late 1918, so just about a year and a half after the U.S. got into it, uh, but more than 50,000 soldiers died, uh, losing their lives for the fight in Western Europe. Whenever there has been an urgent need or an imminent threat, America has always responded with more than enough volunteers to enlist to meet the challenge. Unfortunately, this has not always been the case for the Lord's Church, which has been engaged in a battle for more than 2,000 years. We're concluding our series in the book of Colossians today called Prime. I'd like to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Colossians chapter 4 and take out the sermon outline that's in your worship folder. Colossians chapter 4. If you need to borrow a Bible, just raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring one uh, to you. Uh, as you turn there, Colossians chapter 4, uh, just a quick review of what uh, this letter is about. It's a letter that Paul wrote while under house arrest in Rome. He wrote it to the church in the city of Colossae, uh, to, and it was a city actually he had never been to, and it was a church that he did not plant, interestingly. While incarcerated, a man named Epaphras, who actually planted the church, came to see Paul and asked him for assistance in evicting false teachers that had begun to infiltrate the church body. So the apostle penned a letter to the church exposing the false teachers, encouraging spiritual maturity, and entreating their prayers. About this time, he also wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus and uh, sent a man named uh, Tychicus, it's hard to say, excuse me, Tychicus is his name, uh, sent him with the letters to Colossae and Ephesus, go deliver them. Tychicus served as the courier because both Colossae and Ephesus were about 100 miles apart. Well, our theme verse for this series is Colossians 1.18. It captures what Paul was trying to get across in all four chapters. Let's say it out loud together one last time. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And the Apostle Paul has been declaring to us for the last several weeks as we've worked our way through this book that Jesus Christ is supreme. He is, he is supreme. And because he's supreme, he is sufficient. Because he's sufficient, he should be superior in our lives. In everything that we do, he should take precedent. And that means Jesus is worthy of our best time and our best service. Thus, our big idea for today is this. Jesus first churches urge Christ followers to enlist in the church. Jesus' first churches urge Christ followers to enlist in the church. I can already sense some of you are going, oh man, this would have been a good Sunday to sleep in. I knew I shouldn't have come. But bear with me. There's some encouragement coming your way. This, this big idea is a radical big idea, and it's important to address. And by the way, I didn't really plan it. It just came up. It's, it's in the last few verses of the, of the book, so I can't skip it. It's there, so I need to talk about it. But it's a radical big idea because in today's world, most churches take a people-first approach 
to serve me. And what I mean by that is that they have a mindset of, you know, we don't want to burden anybody. We don't want to ask them to do anything. It's, it's okay. We, in fact, sadly, I've seen some churches overstaff and wrap up a lot of God's resources in staffing for positions or ministries that could be done and maybe should be done by members because they don't want to burden or offend or scare anybody. Now, this is problematic because God's word makes it clear that if you love Jesus and you know Jesus, you should be serving. And I'm going to show you why and unpack that for you here today. So Jesus' first churches who say Jesus is supreme, he's superior, he's sufficient, and because we want to please him in all things that we do, we're not afraid to tell people what Jesus has to say. So we're going to tell them what Jesus says, and we'll trust him with the results. Because we fear offending him more than we fear offending you. And so uh, Jesus' first church has unashamedly urged believers to serve because it's something the Lord expects. It's something any believer should want to do, and it's essential for any church to survive. Now, I realize many of you are already serving here at Vanguard, and that is one of the great strengths of our church. We have, we have some people I have to say, you can't do anything else. You're, you're already doing four things. You're done, okay? I'm cutting you off. Stop serving so much, okay? So uh, it's, it's a blessing. And so I, I, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you do. We couldn't do what we do here at Vanguard if it wasn't for you. Now, I also realize there are some of you that uh, are here today that have been coming to our church for a while. And to be honest, you should be serving by now. You've kicked the tires 16 times. And, and you should be serving on a ministry team by now, but you're not. And so I'm praying this message will persuade you, maybe convict you a little bit. But we'll stay with persuade. Did I say convict? I didn't mean to say that. So on the surface, the final verses we're going to look at here in chapter 4, it appears to be sort of Paul's custom closing, like he has in most of his letters. It appears that he's just sort of giving some final greetings to the people that are in the church that he's writing to, and and some instructions here and there, do this, say hi to this person, and yada, yada, yada. Well, I think there's more here than meets the eye. And so we're going to see here in these final verses, Paul is going to recognize several people that have served with him and helped him in the ministry, and he's also going to elevate serving the Lord in the ministry. And so with that, if you would look at Colossians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 7 through 9. So he says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. Remember, he's the mailman. Uh, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Here's the first of two points that I think Paul is making about serving the Lord in these final verses. The first is this, serving the Lord is the greatest privilege. It is the greatest privilege. 
The dictionary defines privilege as an advantage or source of pleasure granted to a person. In this case, one of the many privileges the Lord grants to his children is the opportunity to be used by him to touch lives through local church ministry. Notice he says in verse 7, Tychicus is believed, uh, he's going to tell you and fill you in on everything. Well, this guy Tychicus, he's a young man who uh, came from Ephesus, and it's believed that Paul led him to faith in Christ when Paul was in Ephesus for three years. He traveled widely with Paul and sometimes traveled on behalf of Paul as his courier or messenger. Next, you see Paul reference Onesimus in verse 9. He was a runaway slave originally from Colossae. Onesimus had come to faith in Christ, and he's the one that brought about the book of Philemon. That's another sermon series, but Philemon is about Onesimus. Now, I want you to notice that Paul gives both men one of the highest compliments out of all the people he mentions in all his letters in the New Testament. He calls them faithful. They are faithful. The word in the original language simply means to be worthy of trust or dependable. Nowhere in the Bible is there a believer complimented for being nice, funny, popular, etc. However, everywhere in the Bible, and it's sprinkled throughout, there are servants commended for their godliness and their faithfulness to the Lord. Not only is the apostle elevating these men so the Colossians will listen to them when they go to visit that church, but he's also elevating their service to the Lord. Saying, these guys, I can trust them. I can depend on them. They're important to me. And Paul was using his apostolic clout to get that across. Now, we know that serving the Lord is a privilege and something that greatly pleases him, by the mere fact that he incentivizes it. Uh, That's a big word, I know, but uh, turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 12. We're going to come back to Colossians 4, but if you would turn to John chapter 12, I want to show you some encouraging verses about serving the Lord that you really need to have underlined in your Bible. John chapter 12. I want you to put your own eyes on these verses and Maybe mark them, or you can go back and read them later if you want during your devotions this week. But in John chapter 12, in verse 26, uh, Jesus says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. So here's letter A on your outline, one of the uh, first of several reasons why I'm going to give you three sub-points here, but um, why serving is a great privilege is this, faithful servants will be exalted. That's what Jesus is saying here. Faithful servants will be exalted. In this passage, Jesus explains in his no-nonsense style that Anyone who claims to follow him will prove it by serving him and vice versa. 
Christ followers may be persecuted here on earth. They may suffer loss and rejection just like Jesus did, but he reminds them and us they will be exalted and honored in eternity for eternity. And I don't know if you've put this together yet, but the Lord does not hold anything back when he honors somebody. He's the best at doing it. Next, if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, and he talked about eternal rewards to the believers there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 15. So Paul says, um, starting in, in verse 10, Excuse me, I got Bible pages sticking together here. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds. Verse 11 For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So here's what Paul is saying here, and letter B on your outline is this, faithful servants will be rewarded. So not only will they be exalted or honored in eternity, they'll also be rewarded. In this passage, Paul is saying that every believer, when they die, they'll stand before the Lord's judgment seat to give an account for how they spent their life. This is not a judgment for sin, though. Uh, we know from Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Instead, this is more of a performance evaluation, not for earning their salvation, but instead it's looking at what did you do for me after you were saved on earth that brought me glory? What did you do in ministry for me? And then the Lord's going to give out eternal rewards, crowns and other things like that that those believers will enjoy forever. As you can see in verse 15, though, there are some believers who will have regrets. They will be saved, but uh, it will be as though the flames of hell are licking their derriere, shall I say. And I don't know about you, I don't want to be known for eternity as someone who just snuck in. Again, Paul is trying to incentivize to the Corinthians as well. Serve the Lord. Give him everything you've got while you can. Because you should want to do it. Because you should love Jesus considering all that he's done for you. And by the way, what makes it even better is that he's going to reward you for what you've done for him. And you're going to have those rewards forever. They'll never go stale. They'll never go old or anything like that. Nobody will ever take them. 
It's wonderful. And those who are self-centered and choose not to give the Lord their time, talent, and treasure here on earth, well, they're going to have regrets. They're going to regret that they didn't take advantage of the time they had. And so, both, uh, 1 Corinthians 3 is both sobering and encouraging. I want you to see the encouragement in 1 Corinthians 3, because it's a reminder that the Lord is keeping track of how we spend our time, how we use our talents, and what we do with our treasure here on earth. Next, if you would turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, here's another verse about rewards. Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. Jesus says to his disciples, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Here's letter C. This is what Jesus has to say. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the reward. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the reward. Jesus had just said back in verse 23 that it will be difficult for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. It it, it will be uh, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Not impossible, but difficult because of the temptation to love money more than the Lord. And so uh, in this discussion, Peter asked Jesus, well, hey, uh, you know, Lord, we, uh, we left everything to follow you. What, are we going to get anything? And so Jesus responds saying, well, yeah, I'm going to take good care of you. He promises to proportionately reward those who have sacrificed much for him. Thus, every lost relationship, every relocation, every physical affliction or financial loss for the sake of the gospel is being tracked and recorded by Jesus. Folks, that's encouraging. Because when you look at, say, the, say, say you have a day where you're struggling, like uh, say the author of Psalm 73, in Psalm 73, uh, the, the psalmist is struggling with, why, why should I live a godly life when, man, I look at the pagans and they're living large? Why don't I just live like unbelievers do? Well, Matthew 19, verse 29 is a reminder. Oh, just hang on. You just wait. You'll be living large forever. David Livingstone was a British physician from the 19th century who gave up a a fluent lifestyle to serve the Lord as a missionary in Africa. He overcame numerous dangerous obstacles while spreading the gospels in the jungles of Africa. And he was honored and revered, and he still is. There's memorials for him, both in Africa and back in England. And he once wrote this about his service to the Lord. He says, people talk of the sacrifice I've made in spending so much of my life in Africa, 
Can that be called sacrifice, which simply pays back a small part of the great debt we owe to God? Is anything a sacrifice when it brings its own blessed reward and healthful activity, consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such thought. It's not sacrifice, it's a privilege. Dr. Livingstone eventually died from malaria and dysentery while he was fulfilling his calling in an African village. He was age 60. But when I read about his biography yesterday and I read this quote, I, I couldn't help but ask this question. If Dr. David Livingstone could see risking his life in another country to spread the gospel in the dangerous jungles of Africa as a privilege? Shouldn't we see serving the Lord in the comfort of Northwest Bakersfield as a privilege as well? I'm just asking, just asking, that's all. Just saying. Don't answer all at once. <laughs> Jesus first churches urge Christ's followers to enlist in the church because it's good for them, it's good for the Lord, it pleases him, and there's many blessings that come. Next, let's look back at Colossians chapter 4. Uh, I'm going to pick up with verse 10 and read the rest of the chapter. Colossians 4, so Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, he greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, he greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to... Nympha and the church in her house. And, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodicea. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I, I gotta just share something. You see Archippus there in verse uh, 17. Every time I read that, I chuckle a little bit and imagine what it would have been like to be him. Because what happened in these days is these letters would be delivered from Paul and then they would read it out loud to the congregation. You know, hey, they've got word from the Apostle Paul and, and here's what Paul says. And. And I'm just imagining what it would be like to be Archippus and, you know, they get through chapter four and 
Oh, hey, Archippus, hey, Paul mentioned you in here. Oh, yeah, what did he say? Did he mention me? Paul did? Yeah, yeah. He says you're supposed to do what God wants you to do. Did he say anything else? No, he just says fulfill the calling that God gave you. In front of everybody here. <laughs> it just kind of suggests like he wasn't doing it, maybe. And so, and I guess I find that funny, but... Uh, well, man, got my name mentioned by Paul. Oh, not good that Paul mentioned my name. Would rather Paul not mention my name in his letters to the entire church. So uh, here's number two on your outline. The Lord has called and gifted believers to serve him. The Lord has called and gifted believers to serve him. Uh, please notice how Paul lists off eight different people both men and women, all with different spiritual gifts, different roles to play in the ministry. But all of them were important. Uh, he mentions uh, Aristarchus and Mark and Justice in verses 10 and 11. All three of these men were encouragers that comforted him. And then, of course, he mentions Epaphras, who was the one who planted Colossae, the church in Colossae, you might remember, and he's the one that contacted Paul for help. Well, He's not only a church planter, it appears he's a prayer warrior. Uh, interesting choice of words by Paul in the Greek text. It's, it's a word, uh, it's agonizomai. It, it's a word we get the English agony from. But it means to wrestle strenuously or uh, to fight an adversary. And he was doing this in prayer. It, it hints at the spiritual warfare that Epaphras was engaged in on behalf of the Colossians. Uh, this wasn't just grace at the dinner table. Uh, thank you, Jesus, for this food. Amen. And by the way, help the people in Colossae. No, I, this was on your face, crying out to the Lord for hours and days, doing battle for them. It's a reminder that ministry for the Lord doesn't always have to be face-to-face can be done from a distance, say, in the form of a prayer ministry or maybe writing encouragement cards. If you would uh, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. It's the last verse we're going to look at. I want to show you uh, a verse on spiritual gifts, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It's another verse you should have underlined in your Bible. First Peter chapter four, verse 10. And so Peter writes, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Okay, well, what's he saying here? He's, he's referring to spiritual gifts, and he's saying each one, anyone who's received Christ as our Lord and Savior, got at least one spiritual gift at the point of conversion that is to be used to serve the Lord in ministry. Now, we don't have time to turn there, but let me just, I'll just, if you want to jot these down, you can look them up later. Um, the spiritual gifts are listed in three places in the New Testament. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. The New Testament teaches that 
The day you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you received at least one spiritual gift from the Lord. And what Peter is saying is that when we use our gifts to serve one another in the church, we are stewarding, managing wisely the gifts that God's given us. And the inverse is also true. When we don't serve because we're too busy or whatever other excuse we might have, we're wasting our gifts by not using them. And so uh, there are specific gifts the Lord gives that are talked about in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4 that I think represent certain ministries he wanted done in the local church. Each gift is important, and each one is given with a purpose. Early one morning several years ago, uh, leadership consultant Jim Velasco arrived at Houston's Methodist Hospital. He was going there to interview world-renowned heart surgeon Dr. Michael DeBaki before his first operation of the day. As uh, Mr. Velasco made his way down the hallway to the doctor's office, he uh, noticed a custodian that was mopping the floor and doing so enthusiastically and singing. Well, this piqued Belasco's interest and curiosity, so he stopped and asked the custodian, why so, what, what, are, you, what are you happy about? What are you so excited about? To which the custodian replied, me and the doctor are going to be saving lives today. What incredible vision that custodian had. He understood that by using his mop to clean the hallway outside the cardiology department, he was creating a clean environment that would allow a world-renowned surgeon to use his scalpel inside the cardiology department. You see... All service is done for the Lord is meaningful because there, there's no service done for the Lord. It's meaningless. It's, if you serve the Lord with the gifts that he's given you, he'll use it. It doesn't matter whether you're gifted to be a teacher up front or a leader or an administrator or you have gifts of mercy or encouragement or service or giving. The Lord will use you. And that's why Jesus First Churches who are more afraid of offending Jesus than people will encourage Christ followers to enlist in the church. Well, how do we apply this? Uh, here are a couple of applications that come to mind, actually three quick ones. The first is, if you're not serving here at Vanguard, please start. We would love to help you. The most common excuse I hear for not serving in the church is, I'm too busy. I just have so much going on. But did you know, I, I never thought about this, but I was reading about this yesterday. Did you know that when God called Moses to serve him, Moses was busy? He was tending flocks at Horeb. Did you know that when Gideon was called by the Lord to serve him, he was busy threshing wheat by the wine press? Oh, yeah, and then there was David. 
He had some things going on too. David was busy caring for his father's sheep when the Lord called him. And then there's the prophet Elisha. He was busy plowing fields with 12 yoke of oxen. Oh, Nehemiah. Man, that guy was busy too. He had a lot going on. Nehemiah was busy taking care of the king's wine cup. It was an important job. Oh, and then there was the apostles, James and John. Did you know they had a fishing business? A family fishing business? They were busy taking care of that. Mending nets when Jesus called them. And oh, there's Matthew. Matthew was busy collecting taxes. And you know that takes a lot of time. Yeah. Oh, and there's Paul. Forgot about Paul, formerly known as Saul. He was busy trying to eradicate Christianity from the earth when the Lord interrupted his life and called him to serve. What's my point? You will have to make time to serve the Lord. It will never be convenient. Please hear my heart on this. I'm not urging you to rearrange your priorities so you can serve the Lord in his church because you're supposed to. I'm urging you to do it because you should want to in light of all that he's done for you. If you're not sure where you should serve or maybe you've got physical limitations, I would love to speak with you so that we can help you find some options. We have lots of needs, and we need all hands on deck here at Vanguard. Number two, second application. We've got excellent team captains that oversee various ministry teams. And team captains, I can't leave you alone in a message like this, so I've got to pick on you a little bit. Um, I think you need to provide loving accountability. And I just want to say thank you for the extra responsibility that you carry in our church, I know that our team captains often pick up the slack when other people don't show up to serve. But I also want to encourage you, team captains, to speak to the MIAs you have on your team that have stopped serving. There's nothing to be ashamed of and nothing to fear when it comes to asking another believer to fulfill God's will for their life. It's God's will that they serve. And so I I just want to encourage you to use questions as your best friend. If they don't show up when they're scheduled to serve, call them up and say, hey, is everything okay? Just want to make sure you're all right. Did did you get a copy of the schedule? Oh, okay, just checking. Because you were scheduled to serve last week and nobody saw you, nobody heard from you, you didn't get a sub lined up. and, And, you know, you're working for the Lord Christ, not for men, just saying Do you, do you need a wake-up call on Sunday mornings? Do you need me to pick you up? I'm using humor to make a point. I hope you're seeing that. Do you need me to tuck you in on Saturday night? Because we're serving the Lord Christ here. And it's a privilege to serve him. In the comfort of Northwest Bakersfield. Just saying. So that leads us naturally to application number three. Serve faithfully. 
Don't let your emotions or convenience dictate when or whether you serve. Don't. Here's what I have seen over the years in the various churches I've served in. The godly people I've had the privilege of working with, godly church members that were faithful and saw what they did as a ministry, here's what I saw them do. They did everything they could to work their schedule around the times when they were supposed to serve. So for example, if, if it was an usher captain, I'm thinking of a guy right now who was an usher captain in another church I served, and, and you know, he was on weeks two and four of each month, he would schedule trips out of town and family come to see him, all that, around weeks two and four. And he, he just didn't want to miss serving because that's my ministry at the church. There are people counting on me. I love doing it, and I love the Lord. So he rarely missed because those times, weeks two and four, on the calendar are in cement. I can take a vacation on weeks one and three because it was a priority. As Paul said in Colossians 3.24, which we studied a few weeks ago, you're not serving men, but rather the Lord Christ. So strive to be like the servants that Paul talks about at the end of chapter 4. Strive to be faithful. Because Paul commended faithfulness. And by the way, he commended those servants for their faithfulness, and they had much more responsibility than any of us, including me, are going to have. And it was much more dangerous than anything we're going to do in Northwest Bakersfield. And they were called faithful. So let's be faithful with what the Lord's entrusted us with here because it's not as hard as what they had to do. A few years ago, I, I read the following quote from an unknown author. It continues to fuel my passion for serving the Lord, and I hope it motivates you and encourages you as well. It's sort of a poem. It goes like this. If you do it because no one else will, it's a job. If you are doing it to serve the Lord, it's a ministry. If you do just enough to get by, it's a job. But if you do it to the best of your ability, it's a ministry. If you quit because it was no longer fun, it got hard, no one praised you, or because someone criticized you, then it was a job. But if you keep serving, even though the thrill is gone, even though it's still hard, and no one praises you, or you get criticized, then it's a ministry. Mediocre churches are filled with people doing jobs. But great churches, they're filled with servicemen and servicewomen who delight in serving their commander-in-chief. And so I ask, are you enlisted? Because Jesus wants you to serve in his army. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I have to admit, there are times like today, I wish I could just sort of skip certain passages of Scripture. It would be easier. It would, 
it would make me more popular and wouldn't be as convicting. But Lord, I thank you at the same time that there's encouragement in this passage. That, that just as Paul commended faithful people, we know you will do the same. And I thank you, Lord, for the many faithful people that we have here at Vanguard. And Lord, for those that are being faithful and they've been serving a long time, maybe they're discouraged, would you please encourage them? Would you help them to see the difference that they're making in lives? Help them to see it, Lord. For those who uh, maybe been coming here for a while and they just, they've been reluctant to jump in and get involved, Lord, please, would you would you just do business with them? Would you speak to them? Help them, Lord, to see the danger of going to a church where they just consume. But they don't serve. They don't use their gifts. They don't bless others. Father, I also just you know, I want to pray for those that might be dealing with physical limitations or other challenging issues that are exceptional. They're, they're, they're not the typical schedule conflicts kind of thing. Um, please, Lord, would you show them what you might have for them here and how you might be able to use them. We thank you, Lord, again, for the privilege of being able to serve you. And we thank you, Lord, that you will reward faithful service generously. You don't have to do that. We should be willing to serve you without the rewards. So we're grateful, Lord. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.